and welcome back to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere universe? Multi- not multi- it's not a multiverse. Yeah, it's, it's just not? a universe. It's just a universe. Okay. They're just planets. They're just planets. Yeah, they're not like alternate universe. I'm Nora. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm Nora. Yeah. I'm joined by Autumn. Hi, I'm Autumn. And we're also joined, as always, by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. Uh, that's not the name I was using last time I was on the podcast, but but now it is. <laughs> now it is. Um, gosh, it's it's been that long. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It has been yep. a minute or two since we last were here to regale you with the stories of Rayadin, Sarini, and Hraithen. Um, and Fortin of Froval. Fortin? A subject of Froval? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But first, as always, has anyone read any other books in the last six months? I'll go... (laughs) I'll go first because I have a very, very brief segment, which is the book I read most recently is Rhythm of War, which we will be talking about on this podcast in like 37 years or something. So, (laughs) like, don't even worry about me. I read some... I've read some other books between then and now, but like... The one I read most recently, we will cover someday, so I just won't talk about it. <laughs> uh, I read the entirety of The Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Paolini. You did do that. I forgot you did that. <laughs> and also his space opera book that he wrote um, came out in 2020. Mm. Late 2020. How'd that all treat you? Pretty poorly, all things considered. <laughs> Um, the Aragon stuff, way better than, um, To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, I think. Despite To Sleep in a Sea of Stars being maybe a better put-together book, um, it's just, it's just Mass Effect is the thing, to the point that after each big action set piece, the main character will go down the list of the crew members on the ship and talk to them and get, like, the next step in all of their backstories and, like, character arcs and stuff. No <laughs> oh, way. Oh, God. Yeah. No fucking way. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the big... I guess I'm gonna spoil To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, kind of. No one's gonna read that book. I don't know. It's 880 pages. No one's gonna read that book. Um... The big, like, transcendent moment of clarity that the main character has, and the way that she uses that insight to solve the problem of the book, is just creating the Citadel for Mass Effect so that the two alien species can live together and, like, work out, and, like, really just sit down at a table and talk about the issues. And that's, like, the supreme wisdom that she gains in this book. But, like... They could do that anywhere. The thing that prevents people from talking to each other is not not having a venue. No, it's... now they have a venue where she had. There is a consciousness built into it because it's a grown like substance, and there's a consciousness that runs it along with all the. Stop me if you've heard this before. There are these little drone type creatures that crawl around within. Uh huh. The thing maintaining it. Uh huh. Just like in Mass Effect. Um, but also it's like guarded by her or a part of her that will 
stop you if you from bring stop you from bringing weapons on board and stop you from being violent because the thing standing between these two peoples coming together in peace is the fact that individually they commit acts of violence to each other that's not how anything works <laughs> um they even say multiple times the jellies the jelly the like blob type aliens who can basically upload their brains into other bodies and like go through different forms they're they're always saying yeah we were going to invade y'all anyway uh because you're scary um but now we have to deal with the corrupted which is like the third faction in the war uh basically they got all their shit from finding prothean artifacts or sorry uh vanished artifacts um and built off of that, whereas humanity just managed FTL spaceflight on their own and didn't n- really find the alien artifacts until well after that. So they're like, oh, that's weird. We don't like that. We're going to wipe them out for sure. Uh, and that's just not resolved because that's a bigger thing than just the one alien guy that likes the main character being the guy who speaks for the species the the reason that like the reason that like the allies and the axis powers didn't get along was not because no one built a convention center where they couldn't like talk about stuff (laughs) having a place to talk doesn't change anything it's not really i don't know it's not really that so much it's like what if your fascist empire was expanding and then you found another fascist empire that was also doing that okay but you hadn't you didn't have the context that europe has like you're meeting for the first time what if there was another europe basically (laughs) what if there's a second europe what if there was a second mirror europe on the other side of the atlantic ocean and they were also trying to colonize (laughs) your europe europe prime okay Also, they didn't have any concept of continuity of self in the way of, like, they're like, yeah, I might die, and then my brain will get, like, uploaded into another body, and it'll be fine. Like, as long as my pattern survives, I survive. And all the humans are like, but won't you die? And they're like, well, this body will die. And they're like, well, then do you get all the memories of this body when you get your new body? No, it'll be a different... (laughs) It'll just be, like, a 3D-printed... Mm-hmm. person and the humans are all like that doesn't make it that's a different guy this book has too many elements yeah, it's 880 pages long there's too many things happening in this book i need christopher to pick like two a third of it is a quest to pick up the magic staff that no, solves all not. the problems <laughs> and then they find it and it's broken no it's not yeah <laughs> Nora, why did you read all these Christopher Paolini books? Every week I have one or two eight and a half hour shifts that I can listen to things uh, during. So I listened to all of those books. <laughs> the Inheritance Cycle I listened to because I, it's been a minute. Some of those books I've only read the one time. And I wanted to revisit it and see what the deal was. Because I remember there being a lot of weird shit in the later ones. And there is some weird shit in the later ones. Because 
by the time he gets to the third and fourth books, he really wants to be writing to sleep in a sea of stars. So it gets all these weird sci-fi elements in the ways characters talk about and use magic that are just weird. Uh, and also, his ideology is just bleeding off the page. Mm-hmm. Um, it cha- it shifts because, you know, he goes from being 19 to 27 or whatever over the course of these four books. and He's so very clearly the child of two business owners. <laughs> <laughs> Aragon has a moment where he goes around to, to, like, pay his debts, to, like, say thank you to the people who have helped him or who he has kind of screwed over in the past. And one of them is he goes up to this this friend's um, wife, who like used to be a wealthy noblewoman, daughter of a shipping company guy, and she married this other guy who's also doing shipping stuff, and his business gets uh, destroyed because the Empire's agents figure out that he's helping the Resistance, so they just start sinking his ships mysteriously. Uh, and she's, like, really upset because she's accustomed to a certain way of living, which involves having money. <laughs> and his thing is, thank you for letting Jode uh, bro out with me and fight the Empire. Here's a ball of gold that I summoned from the Earth and coalesced. It's a, it's a sphere of pure gold. I know that with your business cunning, you can turn it into a much bigger amount of gold. And she does. (laughs) And she rebuilds Jode's shipping empire from that one small investment, that one loan. She turns it into a huge thing. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's just a side character. These books sound fucking terrible. They're really fun. <laughs> They're gay sometimes in ways that I don't think Christopher Paolini ever intended. Mm-hmm. In the first book, there's a part where Aragon meets Murtag, and this is like in the chain of events where he's captured and then gets rescued by Brom and Mert and Murtag is also there helping um but Brom is like injured and so it's the three of them for a little while as Brom dies and then it's the two of them they have to like keep going on this journey and they start like Aragon has been sparring with Brom as he's being taught how to do swordplay over the months of travel and so they start sparring because Aragon's like, well, I need to practice and you don't have anything to do. So they just start fighting. And then the first time they fight, they push each other like so hard. They're like matching every strike and they're just sweating together and like <laughs> clashing against each other. And like immediately it's clear that they are completely evenly matched and they're so satisfied. <laughs> By this contest that they've created between each other. And, like, nobody ever wins. They're constantly coming to a, to a, a, a draw every night. But they keep doing it. And they have this really, like, immediate rapport. That's just the most homosexual activity. What's better than this? Just guys <laughs> being dudes. 
It's just you and your bro like arm wrestling so much that you become best friends overnight. <laughs> like you become really intimately close with each other because you're sharing in this mutual exertion that like pushes your bodies to the limit. <laughs> And Paolini doesn't see any of that, and apparently some people on the internet do see what I see. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not too surprising. They don't see the other one I see, which is the rebel leader who hates magic and fears magicians, and then the like head mage of the rebellion. Both of them are young women, and the mage thinks that the rebel leader is dumb and doesn't know what she's doing. And there's, like, this mutual uh, hatred that is just so sexual mm-hmm. that nobody else, uh, nobody on AO3, at least, has has really tuned into that one. But there's a very, like, potent um, mutual disgust that uh, would be make for some very spicy fanfiction. Oh, Kismesis. Did what? I say that right? Kismesis. Uh, the, hum- the, Kismesis. F- there the we go. Thank you, Mark. Right <laughs> uh, we're talking about Homestuck and the thing where it, trolls in Homestuck also have like hate romance, and then like two other kinds. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone talking about Homestuck last week? It was four thirteen. It was Homestuck Day. That's Homestuck's birthday. It's one of the high holy days of Homestuck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Homestuck, the guy from Homestuck. Yeah. That's his birthday. <laughs> yes. He plays the game on his it, computer. It is, it is John Egbert's birthday, yes. Yeah. Like, I know you're trying to joke around and be, like, <laughs> that, obtuse about it, but it is his birthday. That is one of the, like, I have read a little bit of Homestuck. Mm-hmm. By which I mean the first part. Act one? The first act? Yeah. You have read sure. very little Homestuck. Though. I've read I've read one sixth of Homestuck. I think you'll find. <laughs> and, uh... Now that is not true, but like I, it... I like Act One. I know a lot of people don't like Act One. I thought Act One was fun. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, like people sometimes present it as though like none of the character work in Homestuck happened until the trolls got there and i think that's not at all true yeah um, uh i don't remember most of it i just remember the clicky mouse and orb collect yeah. orb yeah you do collect orb yeah i and forgot about spend orb, orb to create yeah that's what i know about yeah Homestuck. it's sort of yeah grist that, i mean all that is all of that is true. My grocery <laughs> list is called Grist. Because, like, my my Google Keep note, because the first time I was making a, a grocery list in Google Keep, I mistyped grocery, and it auto-completed as Grist, and I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. Um, uh, I also read a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, the Dying Earth by Jack Vance. Uh, occasionally a few chapters of, uh, what's the, I only have the modified title in front of me, Shadow, what's the full title? Oh, The Shadow of the Torture. Shadow of the Torture, because the book I have says Shadow and Cloak, because it's the first two books in one. It it actually says Shadow and Claw, I think you'll find. Claw? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Nora is, like, leaning over the laptop trying to get a peek at this. (laughs) 
I, I think cloak fe- fe- features in somewhere. The, there is a cloak, but the first book is called The Shadow of the Torturer. The second one is called The Claw of the Conciliator. Yes. Uh, a couple chapters of that. Uh, I read another book for another podcast. Uh, it's not the Back to War, but we're getting we, there. We gotta get back <laughs> to war. Um, I read uh, a, a detective book. Yeah. Um, oh, Umineko. <laughs> uh no red harvest don't talk too much about red harvest because i might pick it up so. i'm gonna talk about it on the podcast the other podcast oh right yeah yeah I forgot. i'm doing the thing where i'm since i have audible and i get a credit every month i'm pairing my audiobook choices with the games i'm playing for journal updated which is at the second best game dot club so to pair with disco elysium i read red harvest yeah but anyway, um, I don't know that I have that much to say about any of the other stuff I read. The other note, the one the one brief note about Dying Earth, which is the, the sci-fi slash fantasy amalgam book that uh, Gary Gygax really liked. And when he decided to put wizards in his game, he was like, I'm going to make it like the Vance books. That's why it's called Vancey and Magic now. Um when you read the source material that Dungeons and Dragons is based off, and I don't mean just Lord of the Rings, you you really get a sense of like, damn, this game really had no chance of ever not being racist, because it is. It's not just like the Tolkien like fantasy race stuff. There's like so many more influences on D and D that like all of it is so baked in that it never had a shot. And Wizards of the Coast has no interest in uh, really addressing any of that. And, in fact, has developed new ways for D&D <laughs> to be racist as, like, an institution uh, since then. So that was just a weird moment of realization. Yeah. Mark, what have you been reading? Uh, so I've read... I mean, it's been a long time, so I've also read a lot of books. Um... Uh, one book that I read is Elephantasm by Tanith Lee, um, which is, uh, basically a book about a, uh, like, uh, a a girl who's living in desperate poverty in Victorian London, uh, who ends up, uh, having to work as a maid for this family of, like, truly awful uh aristocrats um who a big part of how and why they are truly awful is that the the patriarch of the family um made his fortune in india and is incredibly racist and obsessed with india uh so he's like brought a bunch of indian stuff home to england and has like made his has built this like weird like indian english fusion castle um with, like, all of this, like, ivory from, in many cases, from, like, elephants that he killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, this weird supernatural revenge thing happens. Um, and there's Hell some yeah. extremely, yeah, there's some extremely intense uh, Victorian BDSM. And uh, nearly everyone dies horribly by the end of the book. Yeah. Um, and it's called, it's called Elephantasm. 
which I feel is just like a really strong statement that Tanith Lee cannot be contained or stopped. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I would say that it's like a really good book um, because it's definitely pretty Orientalist Mm. in its treatment of like all of this Indian sort of cultural imagery that it's using. Um, But it was a really compelling thing to read. uh, And like Tanith Lee's style is really really cool i think um it's very uh i don't know it's just very beautiful language um so yeah that was fun um and i've recently started rereading three parts dead by max gladstone um which is part of a series that i i bet uh people who enjoy sanderson or find sanderson interesting would also enjoy gladstone because um the basic premise of his setting uh, is that um, uh, souls and like sort of uh, human faith are used in this setting as a form of currency, and um, basically like contract law is magic, um, mm. and uh, the central premise of the story is about this city that. Uh, runs on these two gods who are survivors of the god wars which took place like about a generation ago where a bunch of mortal sorcerers fought the gods and successfully killed several of them um and there's this uh sort of thriller plot with a, a number of viewpoint characters who are trying to solve this mystery of like what has happened to one of the gods uh, on whom this city like depends to function not not just you know like oh this is the god that everyone worships but literally like uh divine power is is what runs most of the technology that the city uses um so it's a huge problem that one of the gods is sort of mysteriously missing maybe dead uh yeah it's it's cool um i've read i think uh i think i've read five books in this series before years ago and i'm having fun uh rereading this one um it's the first in the series but the third chronologically and you know that it's the third chronologically because it has the word three in the title he was very helpful about that (laughs) (laughs) ah coheed and cambria no coheed and cambria is all (laughs) fucked up because in keeping secrets of silent earth three is the second album but it might be the third one chronologically because there is a prequel I guess so. <laughs> there is a prequel. <laughs> At least one. I guess. I guess they retroactively made that okay. You think that's not all up in his head? <laughs> that sounds neat. Um, yeah, yeah, I recommend it. I love to strap uh, God into a battery. It's kind of like that. Talking about Elephantasm did remind me of one other book I read in the break uh, that I'll just briefly talk about because I think it's really good and it's pretty different from like the stuff that we're covering. And so maybe if you hate fantasy novels, but you listen to this because you just think we're all very charming and fun, uh, you should read Mexican Gothic. Um, It's a pretty like if you have read um, kind of the classics of the like gothic genre, like, you know, your... um, your Wuthering Heights, your... Um, your Hexen, your Heretic, your uh, Gothic, like, video game Gothic. Oh. 
<laughs> totally escaped me. <laughs> Just picking out things that sound gothic-y in the video. Uh, you know, your Brontes, your Draculas. Like, it's pretty familiar ground. Um, this book came out in 2020, and it just kind of transplants a lot of that stuff out of um, the more common... Um, uh, what am I trying to... Like, English or American South settings into uh, Mexico and, I believe, the 1930s, like, post-revolution. Um, uh, and it does a lot of, like, tropey stuff, but it does that all really well. The other book that is a huge touching touching stone for that, I think, is The Haunting of Hill House. Um, so if you like The Haunting of Hill House, like, I am lukewarm on The Haunting of Hill House and was really taken with Mexican Gothic, but I can draw a direct line between one of the, like, Hill House to the other, so... Yeah, if you like all that shit, like, you should read Mexican Gothic. I don't want to say too much else because, like, it's a it's a book that very quickly starts to reveal itself to you in a fun way, so I don't want to, like, spoil too much, but yeah. Nice. I think there's another book we all read. We did all read three chapters of a book. That's right. Today we're going to be talking to you about our Lord and Savior, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> We read Elantris. It's back. <laughs> Chapters I... 19, 20, and 21. Remind me. I do the raid and summaries. Mark does the Serini, and you do Hraithen. Do I have that right? That's correct. We don't have That's the summary pages doing. open like we usually do. but I I'm... have mine on my phone, so I can start whenever. You go ahead. Um... All right, uh, if <laughs> speak now or forever hold your peace, I'm going to read the summary for chapter 19 and try not to editorialize too much until I get to the end. Um, Raiden dreams of being brought to Elantris when he was a child and to, to have healing done on his bad, badly infected broken leg and of his wounds and pain vanishing. Sorry, I'm going to take another run of this sentence. It's phrased in a really weird way. <laughs> Yeah, this is an awkward sentence. This is a thing we've run into the last couple times we recorded this podcast. Raiden dreams of being brought to Elantris when he was a child to have healing done on his badly infected broken leg and of his wounds and pain vanishing, but wakes up to increasing agony from three weeks of accumulated bruises and cuts. Raiden feels his pain in waves rather than a steady constant pain. Shaor's band... in launches a surprise attack, but they are rebuffed, though Saelin takes a stab wound, which he claims is a badge of honor. Raiden visits the Hall of the Fallen, a rudimentary hospice, where his group has been gathering as many... Ho- <laughs> <laughs> Say it! <laughs> many hoed is... Uh, hoed. Hoed. That, right, that's the word. Hoed? No. <laughs> as many hoid as they I'm can I'm gonna start the sentence over now. <laughs> Raiden visits the Hall of the Fallen, a rudimentary hospice, where his group has been gathering as many hoid as they could find <laughs> to care for them as best they could. Tayen loses interest in politics and spends his time studying all the examples of art in the chapel. Raiden studies a tome that contains advanced case studies in Aeon Dor that mostly describes un- unintended effects. Galadon explains to Raiden that Dor is an unseen force and a central concept in the Jeska religion. 
Raiden infers the door is still partially working, allowing Elantrians to live without consuming food by providing energy to them, and that if they fix Aeondor, it will fix Elantris and the Elantrians. He also deduces a link between the Aerlians, the land of Aerolon, and Dor due to geographic restrictions on the function of Aeondor. Um, Does the underbook really say Hoed? Hoed. Also, also, I took very specific, because every fucking episode of this podcast, we make fun of me of not knowing how to say the name of the city. It's Kai. I, I took a note of it in my head. It's Kai. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the summary does not get to what I thought was most interesting about this chapter, which is mostly in... Raiden has his dream, which we can talk about in a second, but I don't think that there's a ton there to talk about. Um, and he wakes up and he experiences his pains. There's more to talk about there. But the thing that I really latched onto this chapter was Raiden gets out of bed and then just starts wandering around Elantris be being like, ah, it's so hard to be a king. I'm not a king. I'm just a leader. But everyone calls me king and says thank you, king, when I do things. And it's really hard to be so good at this. But I have to be strong for these lowly peasants that I'm in <laughs> I have taken in my charge. <laughs> it's really funny. It's the most Brandon he's Brandoned yet. Um, like this is gonna be like, what does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be like? Uh, to have other people follow you is like the central concern of a lot of Brandon's fiction writing. Uh, and it just feels like he's really beating you the, over the fucking head with it in this chapter in a very funny way to me. There's a, there's definitely an emphasis on that thing where like, Oh, uh, giving other people like jobs to do that he's convinced them are important is relieving everyone else's pain, but it doesn't work on Raiden. And I think it's so funny how that's presented as like this this mark of his nobility. Like I really think we're meant to feel sympathy for him because of that. But like, what it means is that everyone believes his bullshit, and it doesn't <laughs> convince him because he knows it's bullshit. Like, <laughs> but the way that Brandon wants to frame it is not he's selling them a crock of shit. The way that Brandon wants you to think of this is, like, these, all the people around Raiden um, are fine with cleaning the shit off the walls or being his honor guard or what have you, but Raiden is called to a higher purpose than just this and, like, must always strive to, like, do better you know um not only that he works harder than everyone he yeah he explicitly right says here, he uh, works harder than everybody and he, has more purpose than everybody else he was more purposeful than any of the others and he was the most determined to see elantra succeed he had filled his days leaving no empty moments to contemplate his suffering nothing worked the pain continued to build <laughs> and it's yeah it's hard to separate what is what here is Brandon and what here is Raiden? Because to me, that sounds like Randa Raiden. Randon. Randon. <laughs> to me, that sounds like Raiden being a self-aggrandizing asshole. <laughs> but I think we're just supposed to take it at, like at its word that he is 
more purposeful and more driven than everybody else. I th- it's 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 a little weird to me because like okay, the theory behind giving everyone else these little jobs to do, uh, at least some of which you know, to give him credit, the people he has planting food that's actually useful. Um, the hospice actually but, useful. The I just keep yeah. coming back to how nobody thought about farming until Ray <laughs> showed up. I, yeah, they they okay, call that out in this chapter of like they hadn't considered farming. But <laughs> <laughs> Mark, finish what he's saying. <laughs> uh, what I was just saying is that like if it's true that having something to do that gives people a sense of purpose, whether or not it's like really important or not is helping them not feel their pain as much. And I feel like the way it's being presented is not just like, oh, everyone's kind of ignoring their pain because they have something else to focus on, but literally, at least the way Rayadin sees it, seems to be that this is like effective pain relief. Why is it not working on him? Because it's not like he doesn't have anything to do. (laughs) Um, Like, he's very focused on doing a bunch of stuff that he believes is extremely important. So, like... Why does this sort of psychological trick not function on him? It's it's weird because there's also like one or two things that I I couldn't quite parse. Um, there were one or two things where I couldn't quite parse. Is this Raiden's perception? Or is, like, whatever magic is happening here affecting him differently? Because he talks about, like, oh, everybody else feels the pain, like, constantly, but for me it comes in waves. And, like, there was one other thing, I can't quite recall what it was right now, that was, like, this detail about how Raiden experiences this stuff differently that I couldn't parse, like, oh, is this actually, like, has the Rio'd, like, hit him differently in some way but I, I don't think that's what they're doing it, it might end up being that but i i think i think this is just supposed to reflect hit his state of mind right now um yeah i mean i i will say that the i think it's notable that the copper mind thinks that we need to know that rayadin feels his pain in waves rather than a steady constant pain like mm-hmm. You know, I, perhaps this is uh, a bit of a, you know, uh, perhaps this is sort of, I don't know, like, I, I don't actually it? want to use, <laughs> I wasn't going to use that word because that that's a ridiculous way of describing what I'm doing, but yes. Um, like, I was having this with um, another podcast uh, where I was watching, I was looking at the descriptions of Marble Hornets episodes. Mm-hmm. Where they call attention to certain details that you might not even notice the first time watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, like, with hindsight, the wiki can just plant those seeds and, like, draw reference lines between different aspects, you know, but that's not the experience of watching it. Yeah. There's also. To kind of move along a little bit, like, so, the, there, Raiden gets a couple different scenes in this chapter, but I think, like, the bulk of the chapter, maybe, like, the most interesting, the, 
beyond just me being amused by Brandon's like theming that he does throughout all of his books. Um, like the other big interesting thing here is Raiden goes to his study to read this book about Aeondor and um, you start to get, I think, the first conversation really of him and Galadon are trying to hash out how is the magic working? Um, like there is a clearly some puzzle that we don't have all the pieces to and like let's start working that out. Um, and I... There was stuff that I was latching on to as a person who's read too much Cosmere stuff, and so I, I maybe don't want to lead this part because I don't want to say something that I, I get ahead of myself, but, um, like, uh, I had a point that I was getting to, um, if, there was a thing, I almost expected the summary to be, like, really going in-depth on that part of the chapter, and it feels like the, um, um, the summary is just like, yeah, he makes all these connections. Like, they connect, um, Aeondor to the door. Mm-hmm. I was not... So, let's go, let's go over this both for listeners and for my, myself. What, what is Aeondor? Aeondor... So, it's like the, the, I guess it's not quite a, a language, but it's a, uh, a, a writing system of these symbols called aeons. Right. Right. And like the the language that Rayoden and Serini and like presumably basically everyone in this story so far speaks, which I guess is is the language called Aeonic, I think? Yeah, I believe so. That's the language that like Aerolines and uh Serini's people, the Teoish mm-hmm. speak. Um and uh, like it's the words in Aeonic are composed of multiple aeons. So like, Rayadin's name contains the Aeon Rayo. If yes, I'm understanding all which this correctly, means spirit. Right. Yes. So um. So yeah, Aeonic is the language, and. But Aeon Door, so is the is the set of characters mm-hmm. of Aeons, but is also the word of the magic used through right. those symbols. Because the door is is sort of like a jar. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> first of all, I have to this. I think I said this before we hit record. This is extremely funny when you're listening to it in the audiobook and you keep hearing people talk about the door and you don't realize that it's D O R. Yeah. So the door is sort of like, um, is sort of like the force. It surrounds everything. It, it penetrates and binds us. Whatever. Um, oh, we should. I do feel like we should make it clear, though, that's not part of, like, the lore about Aeons or the Aeonic language or Aeon Door. Yes. Despite, despite Door being in the name uh, <laughs> of this thing, <laughs> nobody has noticed until this exchange between Rayadin and Galadon that Door is not a word or not a part of... Door does not make, like, etymological sense in Aeonic. I yeah. think that Aeon Door is itself a creation of Elantrian culture. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I, we, Elantrians also spoke and I guess still speak Aeonic, yes. right? I feel like the Elantrians who had magic lore training created the phrase Aeon Door as this sort of linguistic link. Mm-hmm. Because the 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 one of the important things that they hit on uh is that door is more closely associated with like the Duladel culture and the and Jesker and the Jeskeri mysteries. No, the Jeskeri mysteries are different yes. from the religion of Jeskar. Yes. We don't know what these things are yet, but we know they're different from each other. Yes. But like door is a concept that is in that culture that is not in the like Shudirath and Shukorath cult cultures really like these these two other uh major like re- world religions don't really have a concept of door which is uh Gal- galadon describes it as like you know um if the the river flows because like ice melts on mountains and things move downward like everything moves downwards but the the door is this sort of force out in the world that makes the water want to flow downward uh it seems like a very you might call spiritual thing yes like you might capitalize that (laughs) in a few books (laughs) um i feel like it's worth maybe reading what galadon actually says about it because the stuff he says is kind of vague and like interpretable in a lot of different ways yeah um door is the unseen power it is in everything, but cannot be touched. It affects nothing, yet it controls everything. Um, and then he also says, Jesker teaches that only humans have the ability, or the curse, of being oblivious to the door. Did you know that if you take a bird away from its parents and raise it in your house, it will still learn to fly? Rayadin shrugged. How did it learn, Sewell? Who taught it to fly? The door? Rayadin asked hesitantly. That is correct. So it's the force that makes water want to flow downwards, and it's also the force of, like, animal instinct that means that birds learn to fly on their own. Um, But it affects nothing, but it controls everything. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, so... I don't... I don't know what to make of it. I feel like the characters got a little more out of it than I did, almost, because, like, there's there's clearly some sort of, like, mystery that we're supposed to be starting to put together about, um, like, what happened to the Elantrian that we just clearly, like, don't even have enough, like, we're clearly not seeing even part of the picture yet. I, feel I mean, like. this feels like what Way of Kings would be like if you really tried to bring it under 400 pages, right? Like, yeah. this feels like rushing through, but also not having the space to do everything. Yeah. And, like, we're, like, 263 pages into this book. My book stops at around, like, 570, 580. Like, we're approaching the halfway point. And we're just being introduced to the points of interest that the characters are trying to deduce. Yeah. Like, I guess Raiden has been doing that this whole time, but, like, he's mostly been more materially focused on, like, Mm -hmm. I want to make this place nicer. 
And now he's just started to really get into... Uh, I want to figure out what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I also uh, am, am really struck by how little Rayadin knows about the door, which is clearly, from the way Galadon talks about it, uh, the door is clearly, like, complicated and mystical and, like, central to Galadon's religion. It, I would not be surprised if, like, the way that Galadon thinks about it, you need to take a lifetime to understand the door. And then Rayadin hears, like, the most sort of basic description of it, and he's immediately like, oh, it's the door that's keeping Elantrians alive. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's the same thing as the force I sensed when I was healed one time. He's taking, like, his one ever experience of Aeon Door and being like, oh, I immediately understand. It's the same thing as the door. <laughs> this is like, yes. this is like, uh, like a, uh, a guy learning about Tao for the first time. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, feng shui. I understand it. Yeah. And, Just and reaching for these things that are foreign to his culture and, like, immediately implanting them onto his own experiences yeah and well he's right like he, he will that's, turn out to be right that's because... the other thing is that like <laughs> the chapter would work a lot better for me if he was like oh i wonder if these two things are connected and we're gonna come back next time and he's like doing more research and he's like oh i think maybe they are connected because of other detail that we were exposed to but because like because of the just wonky pacing of this book, it's just, like, we can't have any sort of, like... It feels like everything is sl a slow burn and nothing is, you know? <laughs> because he has to just immediately yeah. put it together. It's a And you just know that he's correct. It's a slow burn, but it's 200 pages. Yeah. So it's, like... It's a slow-paced story. Yeah. But it's, like... The... <sighs> I guess it's 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 like it's a, it is a, just a weird pacing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just can we um can we talk about the the sort of further conclusion that he comes from mm -hmm. this comes to with this idea about door where it's like oh it's also linked to the land right. and our bloodlines right. <laughs> okay, so not only not only the link between ourselves and the door not only that but there must be some sort of link between this land and the door and galadon frowns and says why do you say that because aeon door was developed in arlon and nowhere else the text says that the farther one travels from elantris the weaker the aeon door powers become and besides only people from arlon are taken by the sheod it can take teos but only if they're living in arlon at the time and it takes the occasional doula as well oh i hadn't noticed there's some link between this land, the Arlenes, and the door. I've never heard of a Fjordel getting taken in by the Sheod, no matter how long he lives in the Arlon. Dulas are a mixed people, half Jindo, half Aeonic. Where was your farm in Duladel? So Aeonic is also, is not just the language, it's also like a, an ethnicity, I yeah. guess? Yes. That's, I mean, for what it's worth, that's like not, I don't feel like that's unreasonable. Mm. Yeah. Like, language groups in the real world are often ethnic yes. groups. Um, uh, Galadon says in the north and that port, the, the part that borders Arlon, Raiden says triumphantly it has something to do with the land and with our aeonic bloodlines <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then Rayadin gets a little own in on Galadon because he's like, if you're such a simple farmer, how do you know the word empirical? Shut the fuck up, Rayadin. <laughs> Shut the fuck I, up. <laughs> I am really, fr- I'm really frustrated with Galadon in this chapter because he's kind of like, he is sort of like making fun of Rayadin as Rayadin makes these like huge leaps of logic, but he's not in any way actually like opposing him or like pointing out the the clear sort of uh gaps in this idea or like in any way he he's not in any way opposing the idea that like um you know that that Rayadin kind of immediately understands this core concept from his religion and can immediately link it to like Rayadin is basically saying oh the door this Jesker idea, it actually has more to do with my people than it does with yours. And Galadon is just kind of like, hmm, I guess that makes sense. Uh, what do I know about these things? And it, it's weird. Like, I think we're meant to think that Galadon is kind of, um, you know, that that Galadon's perspective is prompting Rayadin to think in new ways. And like, by, I guess, introducing the concept of the door, that's happening. Um, but it's just not a very sparkling conversation right and is just kind of talking at galadon and galadon is like yeah (laughs) um do do we have anything uh to say really about his dream sequence i didn't really get anything out of it other than just like here's what elantris used to be like which we kind of already knew um i think the only thing that i want to mention about it is uh how like um, how weird some of the descriptions of the Elantrians feel to me because, like, they're meant to be sort of visual descriptions and, like, these are the impressions that Rayadin had as a child seeing these people, but they're, uh, mm-hmm. the the thing that really, really stood out to me was, um, the description of, like, what their skin I was just looking like. at that paragraph right now and I was about to read it out loud if you didn't bring it up. <laughs> Their bodies seem to shine with the same inner light as the city. Their skin, a luminous pale silver. Not metallic, just pure. And I'm like, okay, if it's not metallic, why did you say it was silver? And what do you mean by saying that their skin looks pure? Like, oh, I'm... <sighs> what am I supposed, what am I supposed to picture here? Other than just like, they're very white people. Like, which is what's literally being described. Brandon! <sighs> Brandon! <laughs> the, and then the hair is also described. Yeah. Do you want to take yeah. that one, Nora? Well, their hair was white, but not the worn-out dull gray or yellow of the aged. It was a blazing white of steel heated to an extreme temperature. A color free of impurities. A powerful, focused white. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh! <laughs> like... And it's like, I, I, you know, Rayadin as a child is like amazed to see these people who, you know, are in his, in the culture that he's grown up with, at least some people view them as like living gods. So I, I think it's understandable why he has this strong impression of like purity when he looks at them. Like, I, I don't think it's unreasonable that that's what his emotional impression of them is, but, um, but like... Uh, it, 
it's a little like the way it's presented is very much as though this is just what the Elantrians are. This is what they look like. This is what anyone would think looking at them. And then you have to wonder, like, okay, why, uh, why is Raiden's father incredibly distrustful of them? Like, does he not see the <laughs> shining purity? Um, or like maybe he looks at them and he's like, wow, these people are totally bleached white. They look like creepy corpses or something. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I just can't tell it, exactly. It's it's a it's a weird. Description. It also doesn't say that it's Rayadin at all, and only after the page break when he wakes up, do do you are you told that this was Rayadin's perspective or that it was like a memory of his or even a dream? It just starts off like with the cold open of just describing Elantris. I mean, I you know I did guess that it was Rayadin pretty quickly because we know this thing about how his his leg was healed by Elantrian when he was yeah. a child, right? Um, but yeah, it is a little bit like, you know, I, it is a little bit like, wait a minute, we're back in Elantris and the Elantrians are are alive again. Like, what happened? Uh, Autumn, are the? I guess you wouldn't know, but do you, are the flashback chapters in stormlight usually in italics i feel like they're usually in italics i have no idea i've okay. only ever listened to them <laughs> <laughs> i just uh... i have no idea i don't even know how i would come across that information i am just a firm believer of the dream sequences should be written in italics in your book <laughs> i mean i guess i can go get that copy of way of kings it doesn't off the... matter okay <laughs> but yeah I guess I kind of disagree, just because, like, I mean, it's, it's, if Brandon wants to give us a, a sort of dreamy sense of unreality and, like, not being sure, is this really happening? Have we gone back in time for, like, a few pages before revealing what's actually going on? I, I feel like he has the right to build a little suspense mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was kind of fun to, like, especially because we had, like, such a big break. I was like, What's going on? Did I like miss something? Oh, okay. Weird. It's wild that we that we stopped the podcast the week before things started happening in the book. <laughs> should we should we on that note move on to chapter 20? Yeah, sure. Cuz I I feel like th nothing happened in chapter 19, but uh well that one guy got owned. That guy did get owned. There was a fight scene we kind of skimmed over because it wasn't that interesting but that one guy got beheaded and they buried him because they're like well he doesn't move we're pretty sure he's dead <laughs> if he's not dead that's horrifying <laughs> i I must have i think i think i must have missed the part where they buried him too i yeah. definitely heard the part where they were like we're, we're pretty sure he's dead beheading we we're given the lore like beheading probably kills us they don't move their eyes anymore yeah so but I think that's true because I think all of Brandon's like life preserving magic systems all rely on you not getting decapitated. I feel like <laughs> I you've gone beyond me now. Okay. No, you've you read Alloy of Law. You know how that situation I, is resolved. I guess so. We we're definitely getting way ahead of I'm ourselves. I'm just talking even about he, Brandon. Here. I know. I know. The he can, uh, he, the one thing. Sorry, go on. Brandon subscribes to the, like, 2011, like, zombie theory of 
whether or not your magic can preserve you uh, <laughs> through an injury. Like, if the brain is gone, you're dead. Okay. In every Brandon thing. Okay. I'm just saying. Sure. Um, The one thing that I thought was, like, of some interest that comes out of that fight scene is, like, because uh, there's the guy who's beheaded, but then there's also a few people who are um, wounded in a way that would kill anyone but an Elantrian, uh, and uh, Rayadin has them carted off to the Hall of the Fallen, and that introduces the idea of the Hall of the Fallen, where they're basically storing all of the Hoed and, like, trying to make things better for them, oh, but right. they don't really, like... <laughs> All that they're doing, I guess, is like kind of walking around and and speaking softly to them, and it does seem to be quieting them down. Yeah. Uh, but it's a very like, I don't know. It's it's a very like depressing setup because it is really clear that there's just nothing they can do about this. Step suffering. one: unite Elantris. Step two: invent therapy. <laughs> <laughs> God. (laughs) When Raiden is waking up out of his dream sequence and he still feels all this pain, um, we get a little bit of that, like, Raiden's sanity meter was going down sort of narration. Like, (laughs) sanity is a number, and once it hits, like, seven, I'm... Well, yeah, that's how Brandon writes. I know, I know. <laughs> like we'll 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 return to this talking point many times over the next several books, but I I know, but like it's really bad here where sanity is a number and Rayden is really worried about like his sanity falling below a certain threshold and like it's re- <laughs> it's so weird going into the Hall of the Fallen where it's like well, you know, they need 20 sanity points to like be people uh who we consider alive and right now their sanity is at 15 but it was at like five so like we're gonna put that in the w column this this whole book feels like a telltale game i was gonna say bioware but there's not actually enough like action stuff happening because it feels like we mentioned this last time with Rayadin choosing the good dialogue options to convince Tayan to become Tayan instead of the right. false Baron. But like, it really feels like, oh, because you made this choice last chapter, last episode, um, now we have the Hall and Fallen. I keep reading <laughs> Hall of the Fallen and I just want to say Hall and the Fallen. Hall and Fallen. Um... Now we have this, and that's gonna be that's gonna flag for a, a later episode. Yeah, like it just feels it, like that. St- it feels like specifically the Telltale Game of Thrones, where you like hop between characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would assume that on some level, Brandon is heavily influenced by A Song of Ice and Fire, right? He's gotta be. Like, Even if it's like, oh, I want my epic fantasy series to be different. He's got to be like living in conversation with these things. Oh, yeah. He's finishing Rhythm of yeah. War and saying, ha, that's four. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One more and we're even. <laughs> Watch me. Uh, should we move on to Serena? Yeah. Uh, so I can read the, the summary. Serenia informs 
Ahan, Royal, Eondel, Shudan, and Edan, who, if you've forgotten, that's her posse of The boys of are here. Yes. <laughs> that they need to keep Eodon financially afloat so that he isn't replaced by someone who is more amenable to a Dorethi invasion. Um, which, again, if you don't remember, there's this absurd system where the person with the most money gets to be king. <laughs> it's um, so funny. I guess that's pretty true to life. <laughs> In a, in a way. Well, but no. But the way that it's presented is not like if someone gets more money than Eodon, that person will do some political maneuvering that they can do because of yeah. all that money. It's literally like kingship will <laughs> automatically transfer to them, like legally, because that's the legal system Eodon set up, which he never thought could possibly cause him any problems and which he couldn't, like, change <laughs> as he sees it threatening his kingship. Because it would anyway, be hypocritical. Okay. I mean, he never thought anyone would surpass because mm-hmm. he cheats. He gets to include the kingdom's taxes as part of his income. Yeah, but uh, I mean, according to Serena, he's still in danger, and like, uh, she's probably yeah, but right. Because uh, so now I, I cannot believe that someone would undermine economy, the sacred economy, like this, and just start doing favoritisms. <laughs> Okay. Uh, they discuss various options, including an export arrangement with Teod. Serini asks the nobles about how their figurative planting is progressing, and they all <laughs> reply that uh, that are complying reluctantly. I assume that means they're... They all reply that their yes. peasants are complying reluctantly. They're, I forget. She, she proposed some sort of crop planting scheme. Yeah, this totally escaped me. I could not remember what this was ran. at all. <laughs> She has some kind of, it has something to do with, like, food shortages, and she has, like, a clever idea for how they're gonna, like, plant more food. I've forgotten how it was supposed to work. Um, I don't think it necessarily was, like, it was very much, like, Serini's clever plan, and I don't remember actually feeling that it was all that clever or, like, a good understanding of how, like, a food economy works. Um, So I don't really feel like going back and looking I know that she's teaching the embroidery group to fence (laughs) she's got her fingers in so many I have to hope I have to hope that teaching the embroidery group to fence is irrelevant to the new crops (laughs) but I wouldn't put it past I wouldn't put it past Serini to somehow be integrating those plans (laughs) well there she's gonna teach all the all the women had a fence, and then they're going to install them in various places so that they have a, a person who can kill <laughs> various uh, nobles. Okay. Uh, Serini also reveals her plan for her widow's trial is to bring food to the Elantrians and request the nobles all go with her to help sway public opinion about the Elantrians. But only Shudin agrees to accompany her. The royal offers support conditional on her getting Iodon's permission. Um... Okay. Serini goes to Iodon's study, which irritates him, and reveals her simple-minded act was a deception, which enrages <laughs> him, and he threatens alternatingly to execute or exile her. Serini counters that she knows about his shipping losses and the threat to his hold on the throne, but offers a lucrative trade agreement between Teod and Aralone in exchange for permission to enter Elantris to perform her widow's trial, which Iodon accepts. This is kind of why I'm saying I wouldn't put it past her to, like, have all of her plans somehow connect up, because (laughs) that's exactly what she's doing in this chapter, is, like, she has maybe, like, three or four schemes, and she's, like, weaving them all Mm -hmm. together. Weaving them all together, (laughs) huh? See what I did there? 
Serini returns to her rooms, which have not been cleaned, and sends for Mayala, a maid, to find out what happens. Mayala explains that the maid who was assigned to Serini's room ran away and was the fourth maid that year to depart abroad. We're putting so many pins in this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we there's so much to say about that. Serini wakes up very late due to noise from the walls and makes a note that this is the fourth time she has observed this, twice on Mayadol and twice on Opadol, which are days of the week, I guess. And all instances taking place at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I do love that the names of the days of the week are totally different, but the timekeeping system is the same. <laughs> she speculates that there must be a hidden passage inside the walls leading to the king's chambers, and that Iodon is using the passage for some unknown purpose. Big chapter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Serini is honestly doing a lot of stuff at this point. I don't think we can claim that Serini doesn't have a Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Nora being like, I told you. Owned, 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 (laughs) owned. Yeah, also she, like, drops the bimbo act. Right, okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's There's a lot of stuff to talk about. I just, I guess, want to start with, like, it's really funny that in one sentence, she's like, I wasn't an idiot the whole time. And uh, Iodon is like, oh my god, you weren't an idiot the whole it time. It was me, Austin! <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the exchange. One sentence. And she and he just like... I mean, there's a pause between those two sentences, but... But like... It's just really funny. It feels like such a quick turnaround of she says one intelligent thing and he figures out, oh, she's been playing me for a fool this whole time. Oh. And it, like, he, uh, ragdomi, he swore, using a curse so vile Serini had only heard it twice. Like, his, we've seen before that Iodon has an extremely short temper, especially when it comes to Serini, um, probably because he hates Mm. women. But, like, he's just, like, he he is all, like, foolish pride and nothing else. Yeah, like, (laughs) she says one smart thing and he basically is like, you cunt. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's weird. But it has God in it, so. And he (laughs) threatens. He's he's like, like, God's cunt, girl. (laughs) And he threatens to kill her over this. Like also he I don't know he threatens to kill her because he's played her he's er, sorry she's played him for a fool but nobody else in the court knows about this like nobody else yeah knows so like if he did execute or exile her it would just be like oh we had a conversation in private one time and then I immediately had her killed <laughs> yeah it, it's. He, like, I know we're supposed to think that he's really bad at this whole kingship thing, and, and that's why he's, like, in danger of losing it at this point, but, like, he has such a short fuse, and he threatens to do really foolish things on a hair on a hair trigger because of it. Like, I don't understand how he's kept power for, like, I mean, what years. they've said in multiple scenes is that because Rayadin was keeping everybody happy, well, also- they endure all of the king's... Like chicanery because they know that they have a cool prince. Yes, and I want to I want to talk about that more. But the the thing that boggles my mind is that he apparently had enough tact to get onto the throne, 
and by Ra- because of Raiden was able to stay on the throne, but uh, it, he had the tact to get there, and then as soon as he got on the throne, became prideful and stupid and couldn't, like, out-scheme anybody and was always being, like, played like this. So, like... Can we also talk about, like, how how good at, like, uh, making plans and manipulating people is Iodon actually? Because, okay, in his interactions with Sereni, he seems extremely short-sighted and, like, very bad at keeping track of, you know, what his interests actually are as opposed to, like, what he's emotionally upset about in the moment. But then we're also supposed to believe that he's, like, this incredibly canny merchant. Yeah. And, like, later in this scene, he basically totally snows Serini's father and, like, you know, manipulates him into this business deal that's really, really favorable to Iodon. And, like, it's as though, um, it's as though, like, uh, socialize and, like, business are two different stats. <laughs> and he has, like, a ten in business, but a zero in socialize. Well, it's... Uh, he has he has a two in socialize, but he has like a seven in intimidate, maybe. Right. <laughs> well, and the the other thing is that in the first scene where she's talking with all her dads or whatever, <laughs> her collection of uncles. Yeah her 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 uncle posse. They're like uncle squad. <laughs> Uncle Squad rolling out to Elantris to hand out food. <laughs> when she talks to Uncle... Only two of them are actually doing it, though. <laughs> when she talks to Uncle Squad, she's like, well, I want to do this. And the Uncle Squad is all like, oh, no, he has a 10 in business, so you're going to have to do <laughs> X, Y, and Z to trick him into this. Like, they, he's apparently really good at business, but... Also, apparently being, there's only one way to be good at business, so if you get a squad of uncles who are also good at business, they can collectively outfox him and give her a script to go into this meeting with to outfox him with. (laughs) Um, it's dumb. (laughs) I feel like Iodon's prominence in the plot is going to dwindle over the next uh, half of the book. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I feel like we're about to be done I, with this guy because um, I feel like some other plot developments are going to start mattering more than Eodon. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I, I assume, because the book is about Elantris, that this whole giving food to the Elantrians thing is actually going to end up being a lot more significant than this whole uh, who's on mm. the throne yeah, it thing. would be really cool um, if uh, like the two of the three point of view characters were in the same scene as a result of giving food to the Elantrians. They have been. <laughs> they have been. But like, what if they spoke to each other? <laughs> yeah, I don't think like uh, winking at each other or not even wink- seeing each other from like one person up on top of a wall and the other person looking up from the city and not even knowing who each other are counts as being it's like the, the new type scene. thing <laughs> you look out into space and you're like i feel something should we talk about how but they <laughs> that man on the wall is it lala <laughs> but they they don't even yes but this is a setting where if they had some kind of psychic flash brandon would make it super clear and would probably have a capitalized word to yeah. tell us about it so we know nothing like what that happened should we talk about how like 
uh, I feel it. I think it's after her conversation with Eon. I can't remember because it, it the the summary doesn't really talk about this at all. But she has like a conversation with Ash where she's like haunted yeah, by the figurative after... ghost of Raiden here. Like, oh, he was such a good prince and everybody loved him and he kept the kingdom together because like everybody hated Eodon but they knew that someday Raiden would take the throne and he was down among the people and I just I, I guess we've talked about this in previous chapters too but like Raiden is getting elevated to this like godlike status that also it feels like maybe he was at before he died that everybody just thought Raiden was the coolest guy who got the most pussy and now he's in Elantris and he's teaching all of them that about how cool he is and how he gets the most pussy. <laughs> I, I want to talk about the conversation she has with Ash, uh, not only because of the the how Raiden comes up in it, but also how it ha- how it connects with this whole like. Oh my thing. god! Because <laughs> um, I think it's actually kind of important. So like, Serene gets back to her room, and the summary made it sound like Serene noticed that her room was messy. That's not what happens. Ash is the one who notices that the room is messy and is, like, not happy about it. Which I mentioned in a pre- in a previous episode, I was like, I'm on Ash Watch. I want to see any sign of, like, uh, agency or, like, will or, like, caring about something from Ash. And this is something. <laughs> Ash doesn't like it when the room is messy because it means that the maids don't respect Serene. Um, uh... He, he basically says that yeah. to her, like, you know, uh, if your room hasn't been cleaned, it means that the maids, like, your maid didn't do her job, and, like, that suggests that the servants don't respect you, um, or maybe might stop respecting you if you let them get away with this kind of thing. Um, and uh, Serene is not really inclined to care about this, um, but Ash basically convinces her that um, it matters politically for her what the servants think about her. Um, and that it, it's not, uh, there's kind of this weird thing where, like, um, basically Serene thinks that Ash is accusing her of not liking the servants or not being nice to them. And Ash is like, no, I'm, I'm telling you that you, that they're like a, a political, that they're of political relevance to mm. you. Um, and, uh, it's, I feel that this is very weighted because Ash is a servant. <laughs> Um, oh, I didn't even think about that part of it. <laughs> yeah, Ash is a servant whom Serene definitely considers herself to treat nicely, but whose, like, opinions and perspective on the world Serene is, like, totally disinterested in. Um, in fairness to her, because everyone uh, believes that the op- opinions and perspectives of... Um... Seons? Is that how they're... Pr- Seons, there we go, sorry. Been a while. There is an Aeon inside the Seon. (laughs) Yes. Um, uh, It it is not unique to Serene to, like, not really see Seons as, like, people who would have specific perspectives. Um, But I do think it's, like, really hilarious that she can get this little lecture from Ash about how, like, uh, you need to pay attention to the perspectives of your servants because it's, like, relevant to your position um, but she's not in any way going to extend that to Ash. Well, and like, the thing that I was really latching on to in this conversation was that like, tying it both into Raiden being like, trying to give everybody purpose, and also like, oh, when 
the people saw their Elantrian gods, like, falter. They, like, had a revolt overnight. And, like, there's a, like, persistent theme about how the lower classes need to be, like, put to work uh, in order to have dignity. And, like, they don't respect um, Serene, which is going to somehow lead to, like, her falling in social standing somehow... Uh, and the way to fix this is to, like, make sure that they know their place as your servant. <laughs> and it's just like... And let's and let's talk about why her maid didn't clean her room. It, um, Ias... It's because she... Go, you go. Well, it's, it's because uh, uh, one of the maids, under the maid that Serini, like, talks to about this, ran away... Uh, which is something that apparently happens often. Um, and, like, uh, this is also something that, uh, I think, shoot, there was, okay, it's in the next chapter, so I won't, I won't skip to it, but, like, this, this issue of, like, uh, peasants, or I don't know if like a servant can really be called a peasant exactly. They're they're but, indentured like, servants, so they're who, not peasants, but they're like a lower class. Yeah, people who are in a certain sense like owned by the nobility, um, running away from their posts seems to be a, a persistent problem or or a, a persistent theme. Um and I'll be honest, it makes me very uncomfortable how this is like brought up but is exclusively seen from the position of these, like, nobles and is primarily relevant as, like, a political problem for them to manipulate Mm -hmm. or, like, a mystery for them to solve. Um, Because this is, like, you know, uh, technically the peasants in this country are not considered slaves, but they are, like, you know, uh, they they can't leave. Where they live, and They're they have to work. They're treated between uh, um, nobility as well. We saw yeah. that scene. Yeah. And we've we've yes. talked about how, oh, they're, like, practically slaves, or, like, Eodon is getting near to making them slaves or something. Um, I, I hadn't thought about that because my immediate assumption was that these four maids that have disappeared have all been taken by the Riode, but, like... Yeah, as soon as you say it, it's like, ooh, oof, yikes. <laughs> like. Yeah, I just feel like this is, I mean, uh, it, it, it just feels like the, the idea of uh, maids running away from the palace is being treated as like an interesting mystery, an indication of some, some weird thing going on that Serenia is going to have to look into. Um, like. Mayala, the maid who she's talking to, is like, Domi knows why it is. No servant in the country is treated better than mm-hmm. those here. Um, and it's like, I mean, have you met Yedon? Yeah. <laughs> I find it's very easy for me to believe that there are things that really suck about working in this palace, uh, even if, like, you get paid more and, like, have a higher standard of living than, like, if you're uh, working on one of the farms. Um which, you know, maybe that's just what she has to say to Serini is to be like, oh, yeah, things are great being a maid here. I don't know why anyone would run away. I promise it won't happen again, princess. But, um, 
but I don't actually think that's what this book yeah. is doing, you know? I, like, I, for the most part, I take people at their word in, in this book, unless Brandon is, like, specifically drawing attention to, like, that person was definitely fucking lying, though. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I can't think of anybody who's been, like, duplicitous in this book, except when it's, like, explicitly highlighted, like, oh, there was more going on here. Serini could, like, read in his face that, you know, he really meant to say blah, blah, blah. But, um... So, yeah, when she says, I can't imagine why somebody would want to run away, I just, like, take that, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's... I think that's a reasonable... I think that is how this book is I think it's funny that she Um, says, um... If she can't think of a, a reason someone would run away after she's thinking about all the reasons she's unhappy here. <laughs> like, she's never going to run away, but, like, she definitely feels, like, not completely satisfied with how her life has shaken out over the past six days or whatever. Yeah, how, how- long has she been in Elantris? <laughs> or not, in Kai? Like, a few weeks. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh, sorry. When you said she, you're referring yes, to yeah, Serena. Sorry. I thought you were talking about I. I thought you were talking about Mayala, and I was like, oh, I didn't hear anything about her being dissatisfied. But sorry, I was just confused. It, it, yeah. Um. What else? Well, we can get into this uh, secret passage. Oh yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Secret um, tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am also on Ash Watch here because. Um, Serini is, like, noticing this weird pattern of, like, noises that happen at a certain time and on certain days. And, uh, Ash is just telling her to (laughs) shut the fuck up the entire time. (laughs) Like. It's really funny that uh, Ash takes a cup of coffee when he wakes up and is not fucking happy if somebody wakes him up before that. Like, Serini is, like, uh, you know, she's hearing the sound and she's like, what do you think? I am thinking that whatever my lady had for supper, it isn't agreeing with her, Ash informed curtly. So, like, uh, I mean, I know Ash is, like, kind of uh, gets in these little jabs at Serini sometimes. That's just sort of how their relationship is. But, like, Ash just repeatedly refuses to accept that this is a pattern of weird sounds that Serini is hearing. And it, 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 uh, you know, like, it's happened four times. Um... I, she's maybe jumping to wild conclusions about like, oh, it's a secret passage and Eodon is using it. Um, but like, uh, the way that Ash is just like insistent that Serini is totally making this shit up, it, it, it stands out to me. Um, it makes me wonder whether Ash actually knows something. Um, and again, I could just be trying too hard and Ash could just be being kind of snarky for no particular reason, just because he's, he needs his sleep. <laughs> uh, which I think is also bizarre and funny um, when he's like a, a like a glowing yeah, ball. Yeah, they had touched uh, on before that, like, the Sion's sleep, I think, but like, it hadn't really occurred to me that they might be pissed off if you I mean, wake them well, up. What it, what it says is, I thought Sion's were supposed to have ex- excellent auditory senses. Not when we're sleeping, my lady, Ash said, implying that that was exactly what he should have been doing at the moment. <laughs> um, it's, I, it, 
it might just be quirky snark, but I would be very interested to see Ash have some kind of hidden depth. Yeah. Um. <sighs> the only... But also, we know uh, this tunnel, right? We already... Oh, right! Yeah, we do know about that, this tunnel. Um, yeah. This is the one that, uh, what's her name, who was one of the Elantris gang leaders until she met Raiden and realized who the king he is. Um, yeah, she was using this passageway to, like, visit her yes. daughter, I believe. But she's not doing that anymore, if I, I remember I think Raiden might be doing it to so, look at, to, to meet his, to look at his dad, maybe? Question mark? I don't remember. The- I, I don't, so... Was he? Shit. All right, I'm gonna scroll up on the copper mine because unlike the uh, unlike the crop planting scheme, I do actually want to remember if this is like following up on something. Um, because I don't think that Rayadin would be taking secret trips through a secret passageway and not telling us about it in his narration. Right. Right. I feel like we would know about that. Uh. Raiden tells Karada not to reveal the route they take out of Elantris. Um, it doesn't sound like there's anything in chapter 13, which is the big tunnel chapter. Um, big tunnel chapter. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think that it... I, I don't think that the book has said anything so far about Raiden or anyone like under Raiden that he's aware of using that passage regularly uh i do think it's more likely that it's an elantrian using that that secret passage like maybe someone that karata did tell um i think that's more likely than that it is Mm -hmm. yeah iodon feels like a very convenient explanation um in such a way that like yeah like putting on my like writer's hat like yeah, that makes more sense that it's going to end up like, oh, I thought it was Eodon, and I was, you know, staked out in these tunnels for Eodon, but it was actually an Elantrian. I mean, we know that Raiden didn't know about the tunnel. Mm-hmm. So I think... I think Eodon also doesn't know about it. No, Eodon knows about it because it's like the secret escape tunnels in case he some assassins come for him. That's why they go right into his room. Did Eodon build this castle? Uh, I don't know, but he I... certainly has had ten years to put in secret tunnels through the mountain. I just don't remember. I felt like they said Eodon didn't know about it, but I could be wrong. Maybe I'll reread that part of the book just to like get some clarity on this. But um, it's ultimately not that important. Right my now. yeah, like we I... will. I guess we will know what's what's going on when we know what's going on. Um, my only other thing that I wanted to briefly touch yeah. on in chapter 20, which was just funny, was um, uh, in the in the Uncle Squad scene, um, I forget what it was, but like, Serini did that thing that she does where she she's trying to get them to agree to go to give Elantrians food for the widow's trial. And, um, like, one of them is like, no, I don't want to do that. And then she says something else, and he's like, well, of course I would do it under this circumstance. She, like, 
catches him in some sort of hypocrisy. I don't remember what it was, but she catches him in some sort of hypocrisy, and he's like, oh, well, I guess I have to do what you want now because you caught me being hypocritical and you, like, outmaneuvered me. And it's like, it's really funny that, like, Elantra seems to exist in this place where, like, oh, if somebody calls me hypocritical, I just have to do what they say because, God forbid, I ever, like, went back on my word. Like, we are all, like, so honor-bound that if we are ever caught, uh being deceitful or whatever like or like i'm now bound to do whatever serene wants me to do <laughs> i i think i know what you're talking about um this is uh it's edon who god i can't tell most of these lords apart like except for except for shudin because it's consistently very orientalist yes. about him so i know who he is anyway uh this is all pointless anyway, Edon said, his hand twitching at the thought of entering Elantris. The king will never let her in. And if he does? Serini asked quickly. Then will you go, Edon? The baron blinked in surprise, realizing he had been caught. She waited for him to respond, but he stubbornly refused to answer the question. So if you just outlogic so, him, like, he has to do it now. And, and like, it's, it's, yeah, it's really ridiculous because it's... He's not saying his actual reason for not wanting to do this, which is that he, like, fears Elantris and thinks it's, like, dangerous and disgusting. And he's just saying, okay, the king will never let her in, as, like, that is his excuse for why he doesn't even want to keep talking about this, because it makes him uncomfortable. And then she's like, oh, well, if that's your reason, uh, what if I take that away? And then it's like, oh, damn, I guess I have to do it. Yeah, like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, anyone in this situation come would up with just a different reason come up with another excuse or even just honestly say like no that that also doesn't matter to me i don't want to go to elantris are you mm. like what, no, what are you thinking yeah <laughs> i don't like sludge no one likes sludge yeah i wouldn't want to go to elantris either i do think it's very funny I do think it's very funny how, like, scared of Elantris everyone is, um, and, and, like, how, how, like, shocked and horrified all the lords are by the idea that she's gonna, like, do a little, like, show-offy charity, um, which, uh, you know, I guess everyone's super scared of Elantris has, has been, like, a, a theme repeated throughout this book, uh, but... It it just, uh, it feels a little, um, irrational, and it, it's a little funny to see, like, that, that Serini is, like, smart and not bound by this, like, prejudice, but everyone else around her is, like, so scared of Elantris that they can't even think about the idea that, like, okay, if a princess goes in there with, like, guards, she's probably gonna be fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm excited to see her show up with like 20 dudes. Well, she can only have 10 dudes plus guards. 10 guards. Okay, well. (laughs) What I'm looking forward to seeing is what happens because, I mean, 
you know, I will say there is actually an element of foolhardiness to this because we know that when food shows up in Elantris, it's an immediate yeah, fight. I, yeah. Um, we'll see if the if the guards with her are enough to, like, diffuse that or, like, deter that for the for the duration of time that everyone gets some food. But I, I assume there will be some yeah. sort of, like, light action scene of, like, the guards, like, fucked up some of, like, um... You think I, the guards are going to hurt Elantrians before she can stop them or something? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that would probably. make sense. That would be the, that would probably be the thing is that like a guard is going to cut off a dude's hand or something. Um Raiden yeah. is going to eat a $5 foot long and immediately become god. <laughs> <laughs> um does that take us to chapter 21? It does. Can I... I want to stand up and get, like, a glass of water real quick. Okay. I can hear more. I don't know, can you? Wow. Welcome back. I'm back. I love that. Welcome back to the land of paradise that is being able to hear Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Every... And welcome back to the hell that is talking about Elantris. This is the duality of man. (laughs) Um, So, chapter 21. Raithan sat in his chair, wearing a red dress. No. <laughs> I will read the summary instead. Thank you. It's funny that he wears a robe instead of his armor, though, in this one scene. Why? Because I can't picture him outside of his armor. Okay. Because look, the cover is just fucking Nicolas Cage in red armor. I don't know that I've actually spent that much time looking at the cover on the actual book. I've seen it in like 500 by 500 JPEGs a lot, but I haven't That's actually stretched and squashed. Yeah. But he just looks like vampire Nicolas Cage in red armor. He does. We've mentioned this before. Raiden does not even on the cover. No, he's not on the cover of the fucking book. That's funny. Um, Raiden offers to promote Therid to head Artef, but he declines the offer, and Raiden suspects that Dilof has something to do with it. I love these sentences. <laughs> Dilof. Hraithan feels unease around Dilof and thinks about the fact that he frequently goes to the walls of Elantris to avoid him. Hraithan decides to try to relocate Dilof to avoid his Odev's interfering with his plans and asks Dilof to hand deliver a letter to Wern, which which Dilof agrees to do. Dilof states that he will need to take all of his Odev's on this important mission, which would cause great complications for Hraithan's plans. Uh, because apparently Dilaf has gotten all of the other priests to become his Odiv under Hraithan. Well, not just the priests. It's like, um, yes. it's like noblemen and stuff. Uh, people who, who are new to, uh, this religion and who don't actually understand what a big deal it is to become someone's Odiv. Uh, and so Hraithan changes his mind and tells Dilaf to use someone else as the messenger. Raithan encounters some beggars in the streets, and Nora briefly thinks that this chapter is about to get very interesting, but it doesn't. I know. I <laughs> and know. asks why they are a rare sight, and they say they have to hide in order in the other outlying cities around Elantris due to the king's decree, uh, because you can't be a beggar in the in Kai. We we knew that before this, right? Maybe. Uh, I don't. I don't think it had been established. Okay. I don't know why. I thought we already knew that. Uh, Hraithan encounters Omen while at the Elantris Wall, who is the, like, big priest of the other, of Shukora, the other uh, rival church. 
Omen confronts Raithen about the fact he doesn't practice what he preaches regarding his hatred of the Elantrians. It's a weird time to drop that. <laughs> you should be lynching Elantrians. Like, what? No, that's just a weird phrasing on this from this uh, summary. Uh, Omen lectures Raithen about the truth about truth versus belief. Omen also praises Raithen's logic and determination, but questions his faith and leads Raithen to his thoughts and doubts. Um, good Raithen chapter, I thought. Mm-hmm. The Diloph yeah. revealing this like plot <laughs> was like very fun. <laughs> Diloph has thirty Otis. <laughs> He's got thirty guys to do whatever I, I love he fucking this. says. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I know it rules, and I I love how like um, caught off guard Raithen is by it because he just. Everyone he knows has ever had, like, ten Odives at max and has treated it like a really, like, solemn commitment. Uh, which means that he just didn't think about how there's no rule in the book that says that you can't just make every guy you meet your You Odive. can't just make the church your Odive so that if you leave, you pull everyone out of it and just leave Raithen alone. <laughs> Raithen like, just giving a sermon to the janitor because he's the only guy left. Well, and also... Like, Diloph has been the zealot who can't control himself, who is, like, you know, working himself into a frenzy. And so, like, Diloph just immediately being like, oh, no, also I have schemes. Also, I made 30 guys my Odin. <laughs> it's, like, a really good reveal that, like, Hraithen has been really underestimating Diloph because it's he's good. Diloph is playing a different with different rules. Yes, because he doesn't have that cultural context that Hraithen does, so he doesn't give a shit. Well, and and because Diloph is like a true believer, and so like he's gonna be ambitious. He's gonna do whatever it takes to uh, spread Shudirith. Whereas like Hraithen kind of like doesn't even want to spread Shudirith. He wants Shudirith to like eat up as few people as possible like in its wake you know he wants to spread shudareth because the alternative is death and war right not because he's like a, actually a... a missionary yes and so like yeah it's just really funny because exactly like you say like they're playing different games they're playing by different rules and <laughs> It's really funny that Tilaf rules lawyers them and is like, I have 30 guys as my Odev. What do you want? <laughs> I also think it's like, uh, I, I like how, um, like, we talked about how this is a little bit of a turn for Tilaf because he's been, at least especially as Hraithen sees him, he's been just this, like, uncontrolled, passionate guy who just, like, really hates the, the Elantrians and really wants to, like, uh, it really loves being Shudareth, but, like, uh, it, I like that uh, Hraithen might see it this way as, like, a contradiction of his behavior, but I think that mm. it's actually very consistent, where it's like, okay, he's finally getting the chance to actually do some Shudareth stuff, and he's, yeah. like, going all yeah. out with it, you know? Like, this religion is all about, you know, uh, swearing people to you in this feudal hierarchy, and, like, Diloph finally has the chance to actually live that dream. Uh, and he's doing it in a way that, like, is clever and, like, advances his own power. Uh, 
But that's also just because, like, advancing your own power is what you're supposed to do in this fucking right. religion. Like, because, um, the the chapter starts with Hraithan wanting to make this other guy his Arteth, and um, this guy being like, no, I, I, I don't remember if this is addressed. I assume that guy is one of uh, Diloph's Odives, um, is the real reason for that. Um, and, and, um, Hraithan has this whole thing because he's like, I've never heard of anyone doing that. Like, I've just, the whole, and religion is about ambition. I've literally never heard of somebody turning down a promotion. Um, and yeah, it's just like really funny that like, Diloph is just doing the religion better <laughs> and harder and more. <laughs> harder, better, faster, and stronger. I- <laughs> I would be willing to believe that uh, Hraithan is right when he suspects that Diloph has something to do with Therid not wanting to become head Arteth. <laughs> the words. Uh, but I don't think it's as simple as um, Therid is already uh, Diloph's Odiv and therefore doesn't... Because, like... Uh, because I don't actually think this thing where um, Diloph has a bunch of Odivs is a is a secret because uh, Diloph reveals it to Hraithan mm-hmm. right away. Uh, I think he just, you know, hasn't told Hraithan and mm-hmm. Hraithan hasn't asked. Um, and like, maybe Therid is not up on that and he thinks it's a secret, but uh, I, I get the sense that there's something a little bit more yeah. suspicious going on here where like Therid actually, for some reason or another distrusts Hraithan or mm-hmm. like, is doing other stuff secretly that means that he can't take Maybe on this other Diloph position. Maybe is like, like has a group chat and he's like trying to cancel Hraithan. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, Diloph would honestly, if he wanted to, like, if he wanted to, like, build up his own religious following and then try to convince all of those people that Hraithan's faith is weak, he'd have a pretty powerful mm-hmm. uh, case. Yeah. To make. Maybe that might. I would not be surprised if that's exactly what he's yeah. trying to do. Uh, I I firmly became like Team Diloph in this chapter. I want to like I'm rooting for that little oh, guy. <laughs> uh, I, to be clear, I think he's evil, but like he's fun. We've been talking about the fucking rancid dog man the whole book, and in one chapter <laughs> he you just turned. Oh, I love that little guy. I love that little guy. Now he's evil, but like he's got thirty guys as his. Can I talk about my brain poison? Yeah, the Shukorath priest is named Omen, spelled O M I N. Uh huh. You know what other fictional character is named Omen, spelled O M I N? Omen Dran, CEO of yeah. Acquisitions Incorporated. The Penny Arcade Dungeons and Dragons podcast slash live show. Jerry Holkins plays a human cleric named Omendran, and it's just the same name, and I couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> it's a cleric. It's a priest. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Omen is so, like, a generic priest. Like, he's so generic priest that he's doing the, like, fatherly spiritual leader thing to another priest of a totally different religion. (laughs) Like, like, I, 
it, it really frustrates me, actually, that Omen is able to say this thing about, like, oh, yeah, you have a lot of, like, logic and knowledge, but your faith, what happened to your faith, Raithen? And Raithen is actually, like, shaken by it. It's like, oh, my God, what is, what, where is my faith? Because, like, faith in, uh, it, the way that faith looks to Omen should not have anything to do with the way that Raithen demonstrates faith, because they're from two quite different religions no, with very different ways see, of interacting with the world. Fundamentally, all these religions are kind of the same, and they have a universal, like, human experience at the core of all of them, clearly. Oh my god. I I assume, like, like this is tele- just telegraphing to me that, like, Hraithan is gonna have some sort of face turn. You know? I don't know when that's coming. I mean, he's on the cover, standing heroically with Serini. So, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah. But, like... I mean, he's already got... Like, his central motivation is... all Like, we've it's been emphasized multiple times that he doesn't want Aralone to be destroyed by, by Wern's, you know, conquering troops. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that I think we're really being set up to eventually view him as a more sympathetic character um but i i have to assume he's gonna ditch the whole like demonize the elantrians thing before yeah then. i wonder what he's gonna say when he sees serini uh passing out pop tarts in the hell city i really hope next time we get a serini harathan interaction um, Why does Hraithan always get owned whenever he talks to people? I, like Serini <laughs> owned him on the at the sermon, and Diloph owns him here. Like I I know when in Omen every other episode, him? I have complained about like the sort of gamesmanship between uh, Hraithan and Serini. But actually, I think I kind of missed it. I kind of missed <laughs> like like Hraithan tipping his hat to Serini and like them trying to like play each other. Like I don't know. Uh, it's it's the sort of thing that only hits you when you're reading this book like three chapters at a time. But like, I think they have a good dynamic. I would love for them to be it like put all three of those people in the same scene next week. Hopefully, yeah. This this story just in general badly needs to get its viewpoint characters in the same mm-hmm. room, um, because most of the other characters in the story are very flat and uninteresting. And, like, purposefully Um, so? Like, because, like, I think if you wanted, like, I think there's a different version of this book where, like, there are a lot fewer characters that are more fleshed out. Like, we kind of, like, there's one uncle... There's Galadon, yes. there's Duke Tellery, who's actually in the plot at all, and there's Diloph. But there, it, there's that version of the book, and but the version that we have, like, there's a lot of people who are just the guy who scrubs the shit on the walls, the guy who is Raiden's on a guard, like, various and sundry people who show up to the Shukorath, uh church or shudirath church i hate to say this Uh uh-huh because we've been complaining about this book but this needs to be longer (laughs) if we're gonna have this cast kinda like there's a million people who only have like one character trait and their character trait is like 
their profession and like their ability to like get one over on somebody or something like that you know like a lot of stuff just isn't fleshed out but also i feel like the book is moving at a snail's pace so i don't know that like it's moving at a snail's pace very very quickly because we're like i said two episodes from now we'll be at the end of part one and halfway through the book yeah there's six more chapters five more chapters to read Mm -hmm. actually so you know two two episodes from now we'll be reading the first chapter of part two which i assume part one will have some kind of revelation or cliffhanger yeah who knows (laughs) fucking better (laughs) um what else is there in this Hraithan chapter the beggars yeah i was Mm -hmm. about to bring those up uh because i am fascinated by the actual like okay the idea that that panhandling is illegal in kai is not super far-fetched like Panhandling is illegal in many cities in the United States. Um, but in the real world, that doesn't mean that you don't see people doing mm, yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Um, and the way that these two people talk about it makes it sound as though the king personally is going to find out that they were begging in Kai and get them in trouble for it Right. Somehow. Like, this is a very um, strictly enforced law that is not just like... Somebody's gonna po- come up and like politely have a conversation. Impolitely, let's be real, have a conversation about like you need to get off the street corner. You know, like it sounds like like the punishment is serious and it's strictly enforced. You know, and and as far as I can tell, uh, you know, perhaps we'll learn more about this later. But the the way that it is phrased is uh, about why this happens. The king forbids begging in his city, good sir. The man croaked. It is a poor sign of prosperity to have us on his streets. If he finds us, he sends us back to the farms. And so it sounds like Eodon made this law because he thinks it's, like, it makes him look bad if there are beggars in his streets. Um, and, but then, like, uh, I don't know, this is all just, like, one of the loose threads that when you start pulling at it reveals the very bizarre nature of Kai's mm-hmm. class system where like, it seems as though, uh, Eodon has basically turned an entire class of people who used to do other things into, uh, like peasant farmers who are tied to the land that they work. Um, and it's, it's clearly not like functioning very well in a number of senses. Like, they're just not actually growing as much food as they need to because people who are not farmers have been forced to farm and like people are running away and uh it it just um i know it's supposed to be a system in crisis uh but it it doesn't really make sense how it ever like functioned well enough to keep people fed when like the entire like basis of the food of kai was elantris and that disappeared all of a sudden right and like i think it's supposed to be a reflection of like oh well you get to be king if you have the most money and you get to be duke if you have like you know the second most money um like i think it's supposed to be a reflection of this sort of class system that prioritizes 
having money, but it also doesn't make any sense because, like, what are these people supposed to do about not having money? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, farm. I also, I'm also wondering, like, when they manage to beg some money, like, where do they spend it? Um, like, are there, like, food markets? Can they go to those as, like, runaway peasants? Um, I don't know. Uh, it's just all very confusing, and it feels like it's mostly set up to just have some, like, sad people who, uh, Hraithen can... Like, very clearly, these guys are representative of people in Kai and, I guess, the surrounding area whom Hraithen can, like, mm-hmm. use as a base, right? Because um, he, like, there's this little end of their exchange uh, where Hraithen tells them to thank Jadith for his- because he gives them a ton of money, um, and tells them to thank Jadith for it. Who is Jadith, good sir? Hraithen bowed his head. You'll know soon enough, old man. One way or another, you'll know. Why are you you being so ominous? Who is is this Jesus? You'll know soon enough, my friend. (laughs) Like, that's not an effective strategy for uh, proselytizing. Yeah, when he said that, I thought Hraithan was going to be like, well, if you come on Opidal, you know. Sunday morning, 7 o'clock. Yeah. (laughs) like Skype in. (laughs) Sealed in. (laughs) I have a question. Mm -hmm. How tangible are Sion's? Do you think? Like, can I can I put my hand on one? Yeah. Uh, I bet. I bet that the uh, the Aeon at the center is like pretty tangible. Like, I bet it's kind of um. Like, maybe it's, maybe, like, okay, what I'm imagining is if you try to put your hand into a Sion, I'm imagining that there is, like, a a repulsive force that becomes stronger as you get closer to the center. So I don't think you can actually touch the Aeon. This is total, like, bullshit that I'm making up off the top of my head. How about when it's a head? What do you mean? Like, when it turns into a head. Oh, so like if about? you and I were skyping hey! over a Sion and I just started putting my hand in your face? No, I mean like, can you make out through Sion chat? <laughs> I, I doubt Damn. it. Damn. I know, right? Um. What? What? Uh. I guess I was. I guess the thing in my head is that I almost imagined a sort of like disc at the center that the Aeon was written on, and then the rest was just light emanating from the disc somehow. But I, I I have no reason to believe that. Yeah. That is a good point, actually. Like, Aeons are two-dimensional, right? Because you can write them on a surface. So, like, if you're looking at a Sion from the side, do they just look like a kind of squiggly line of light? If you look at them from behind, is the Aeon back? Maybe, I assume... Uh, maybe it's like a texture in 3D, like it always faces the camera, i.e. your eyes. <laughs> okay, so I googled, can you touch These a Sion, the... and got nothing. I added, can you touch a Sion Elantris, and the first re- the first result on Google is compromine.net slash wiki slash Fortin. <laughs> 
Oh, a subject of verbal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. He knows. He's the keeper of his secret. <laughs> There's gonna be a chapter where Fortin is like just touches Ash, just like reaches his hand, dribbles in. it like a basketball, and Ash could be like, "Stop that!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that was my only question: is can you like, were, do you think Rayadin and Serini like made out with their seons? <laughs> that's all. They were dating. <laughs> I know this, I know we've talked about this before. They were dating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely were. I do think I feel I don't think that they made out through their seons, partly because I would be surprised if you can actually like touch it in that way, but partly because I think that Serini would feel weird about making mm-hmm. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you could you wouldn't want to sext if your phone was like that shit was wild. <laughs> you like you like getting what <laughs> in your wear? And a- Ash would so, do that. I guess that, that's kind so... of like hanging up after phone sex and Siri going, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> Siri, Siri, just being like, "Damn, you really are a knife pervert." All that shit you retweet, huh? Okay, all right. <laughs> I think that's all I have to say about chapter 21. Yeah. Yeah, I feel about ready to be done with this. We will be back next time with chapters... I think I got this right. 22, 23, and 24? Yes. Those are the next numbers, <laughs> but, yes. but scroll down, because I'm pretty sure you said it... Part one ends on 25. 27. 27, okay. So. N- yeah, no. So yeah, it's, it is oh, a, it is okay. a round yeah. number okay. of episodes that, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get to part okay. two. I, I, it felt a little sudden, but I was like, okay. So yeah. I mean, how many chapters are that? What's the number again? 63? S- 63, yeah. 63. Anyway, um, yeah, I just, I was mistaken about something. That's all. Um, but yeah. Mark, where can people find you online? Uh, I have a Twitter account at Char Asnablunt, uh, and I have another podcast. Uh, it's a podcast about Moby Dick, um, which is a much better book than this one. Um, and, uh, that podcast is called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. Um, uh, this... That podcast also hasn't recorded in a while because I was busy learning other arts with the other monks at the monastery. But um, we should be putting out new episodes again soon, so stay tuned. Uh, yeah. Where can people find you online, Autumn? You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, if you want, you can listen to... And then an aeroplane, which is on the Abnormal Mapping Podcast Network. We're very close to being done. We have now covered every single Ghibli film. We have watched every Ghibli film. Next time, we will be doing a episode where we watch uh, Kingdom of Dreams of Madness, the documentary about the making of The Wind Rises and uh, Tale of Princess Kaguya. Uh, and we will be doing a, like a, at least one bonus segment, maybe a little more. I haven't talked to M about it, but like... That will be the end of And Then an Aeroplane. 
So if you had any latent feelings about Spirit Away that you never emailed to us, email us that. Email us um, your best and worst Ghibli films. Em and I are going to be ranking the Ghibli films on the podcast. Uh, you can send us your whole list. We'll read out your uh, best and worst, and we'll tell you if you have good taste or not. Um, any Ghibli thoughts? Like, speak now or forever hold your peace. I was just looking at the back of Elantris and then looking at the Star Wars text crawl. I think it's the same font. I was looking at the back of Elantris, <laughs> and down here in the bottom left corner, it says, A New Ars Arcanum, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it has a new Ars Arcanum. There's a podcast in there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Nora, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at neither Nora. You can find me on Journal Updated at thesecondbestgame.club. We're playing Disco Elysium this month, so send your emails about Disco Elysium to journalupdated at gmail.com. You can find me on Rush Jet Radio EXE, which is on this uh, podcast network. You can find me on We Are the Champions and the Jillen Hall of Fame, which are also on this uh, podcast network. Um, <clears throat> we have a new Patreon goal also. Yeah. Um, and maybe some more bonus content coming that we talked about today. Nora and I talked about two different movie podcasts that we want to do <laughs> today that yes. we were both really taken with. Both we- of which would be big, long running, whenever we feel like it types of projects. Yeah. That um, would be, I, I feel fine saying it because we're not an announcing we're definitely doing one or both of these these would be patreon exclusive these would be like patreon exclusive podcasts one is called you and me (laughs) where we talk about you and mcgregor movies (laughs) i'm really enamored with that one because it's really simple the only real gimmick is that we only watch one per year because he's been in at least one movie every year since 1993 1993 so some of those multiple movies we i would insist upon only picking one movie per year mm-hmm. and we probably wouldn't pick phantom menace no there's another one there that we were looking at but we would pick attack of the clones i don't know we, i mean the only one we know for sure is that we would pick revenge of the sith yeah but anyway uh the other one was uh we don't have a title for we it. we don't have a title but it's a godzilla movie podcast it's a godzilla movie podcast something i wanted to you know, they call all the monsters Titans in in the MonsterVerse, the new MonsterVerse. So, time to go Titans. No, Titanfall. Shut the fuck up. Oh, I'm so excited about that new Apex character. She's Viper's daughter. Okay. Um, Godzilla movies, they're pretty cool. I don't know. I weirdly feel more strongly about that one but also in a way that like i almost don't want to do it because i'm too invested in you would it. turn it into another aeroplane yeah i turn it like, into aeroplane. It has, it's aeroplane coded it's aeroplane coded for sure um it pretty pretty directly maps on to like replacing aeroplane honestly yeah but um those are things we're interested in doing as patreon only podcasts right now the other thing that i've started working toward is uh back to the arc which is a marble hornets podcast uh and as soon as we reach the patreon goal for uh for the patreon on the patreon 
uh, we will put out the Marvel Hornets podcast. And that'll be a twice a week podcast. A very rapid fire release on that one because uh, it's going to be lots of episodes very quickly. So give us money on Patreon if you want to see some or all of these podcast ideas in addition to your normally uh, scheduled releases. Yeah. Do we have a sign off? I forget. No idea. Uh, no, we don't. We have damn. consistently struggled with this. We said something about truth last time, right? There was a line. It was of the... dumb. Wow. Okay, I'm pretty sure I came up with it. So thanks. I remember. <laughs> I remember lodging objections on the episode about it. Um. The problem is, you need something like catchy. And at least right now, related to Elantris, maybe as we get into Mistborn, there's going to be some There's a catchphrase of... in Mistborn I know of. Right, and so maybe once we get to that, we could adopt that, but, like, I don't remember what it is, and, like, for right now, we need something that will serve as, like, sort of Elantrian. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> I kind of like things, Brandon, actually. I kind of like it. <laughs> and I like that we all get to say thanks, Brandon, in, like, various tones of voice. Like, if there's, if we get to Mistborn and I'm just having a great time, I'm just going to be like, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> but right now, I'm like, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon.